Uh, we've got Mark Saunders, who's the former chief of police of Toronto. It's great to have you on. We haven't talked in a while, I feel like. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, good morning, Greg. Good morning. Stephanie Smythe. I think I texted with you yesterday. Did I not? Did we talk? Is that yesterday? Time? It's a time-space continuum. I can't even follow anymore. When was this? I know. I know. It was yesterday, Greg. You'll be okay. At, <laughs> will, will you is the question. <laughs> oh, that conversation is for another day. It really is. It really is. It is all that. Um, all right. Let's start here. Canada voted at the United Nations to call for an immediate ceasefire. This has. It's important to note this. Uh, you kids out there, this has no influence on international law. Uh, it doesn't. But they didn't vote with the u.s the uk abstained many other countries abstained let me start with you steph does this feel like we're kind of going over the same steps over and over again yes we should have our politicians weigh in yes we have some size and influence we are a g7 country but but i feel like we've gone against some allies here and the united states might be wondering i thought canada's our northern buddy they're not with us on this one uh, well canada's kind of been signaling this right since the last resolution like I, I wasn't shocked to hear it go this way but the reaction i mean the fault lines within the party itself you know the liberals uh, are starting to show you know as you were mentioning like the fallout marco mendicino mendicino mm-hmm. is uh, really upset his constituents are upset right um the cija calling this a massive blow and canada's jewish community will not forget so you know, Canada, I guess, aligning with New Zealand and Australia on this vote, again, non-binding. But, you know, it's sending a signal that for the first time that we're not in step with Israel, which is concerning. And, you know, um, Jolie says this change is obviously humanitarian and stuff. But, you know, I just have to think. So Israel listens to this and, uh, you know, there's this <clears throat> ceasefire on both sides. But then, you know, Hamas breaks the ceasefire again and doesn't release any hostages. So what happens next? You know? Yeah, it's a weird one. Mark, we have to hold Israel to account. Uh, I understand that that's, that's an important thing to do. There are many um, people in Israel. There are many people of the Jewish faith that look at Benjamin Netanyahu and say, well, that's not my guy. Far from it. But but here's what hasn't changed. Hamas still holds 100 Israelis hostage. They're still using Palestinians as human shields. They're going to attack Israel every chance they get. And they're telling you they'd love to repeat October 7th over and over again. So none of that's changed from not having a ceasefire or not voting for a ceasefire last week, the week before the week after. So I think people are trying to figure out what's changed here. Correct. Well, here's one thing that hasn't changed. Hamas is a recognized terrorist organization by Canada. They will not comply with international law. They have chosen to break the ceasefire on October 6th and, and, and slaughter, terrorize, rape, kidnap and torture and bring people back in and hide under mosques, hide under schools and, and put human shields in their way. It is horrible what is going on. Hamas has already said that they will not stop. You're right, Greg. They said they'll do it next October 10th, October 10th, October 1 millionth, if they have the opportunity. Hamas has to be eliminated because they're a terrorist organization. It's a weird one, too, uh, Mark, in that a lot of people say, well, maybe you should abstain. And, and governments and politicians get criticized when they don't take a stand, when they give a no comment, when they sort of ride that fence a little bit. But it's got so many complex issues. If you don't love the language in it and it's clear the UK didn't, a lot of our other um, Western European friends didn't, then you don't have to go along with it. You can say it's not exactly it's not exactly where it needs to be in terms of the language and the vernacular. Well, I think when you conflate it, it gets difficult. But if you don't and you understand that this is terrorism and it is ugly and no country should be led by terrorists or, or be a voice of terrorism, 
That's why we wind up in these positions right now. It is horrible what is going on. Mm-hmm. It is horrible. That ceasefire stopped on October 6th by a terrorist organization, and, and they have to be eliminated, or else it does not change. Steph, as we move this along, um, the streets of Toronto, we don't know what they'll be like, but I think I don't know if we're any calmer uh, about the perspective here uh, on the streets. I don't know if the Jewish community feels any more uh, safe, but this is becoming more of a norm that there's going to be a demonstration downtown. It's going to slow traffic up. There won't be too much trouble, um, but I I can't get a feeling for whether or not the public is sort of moved on from and just shrugged their shoulders and said, I'm not paying as much attention to it as they used to. What do you see? Well, that, that, you know, everything has a cycle in terms of conversation, right? In terms of the attention that is paid to it. Uh, it, it all depends on how this is being digested. I think that this is going to satisfy a lot of people. Obviously, this is why I think a lot of pressure on the government to, to finally take a stand on this uh, with the enormous loss of life, innocent life in, uh, in Gaza. Um, and not to take away at all from what Mark was talking about, mm-hmm. the, the terrorist organization that launched this horrific attack. So I think this will keep it, um, you know, still in in the in focus, but in a pretty negative way in terms of uh, mm-hmm. Canada's relationship with Israel. Let me come to this on the financial stuff. Um, the, I saw this yesterday. I think we all can relate because we're all shopping. We go to the grocery store. We all might be having Christmas dinners, hosting or attending. The U.S. economy yesterday, it was documented, it's recovering much quicker than Canada's. A lot of ideology and politics gets into the mix, but it's pretty simple. The difference is what we pay for rents and mortgages. And I saw this. Canadian households are spending double the share of disposable income on mortgage payments, 8.1% versus 4% in the United States. And the former is likely to keep rising. Payments are getting reset at much higher rates. Many of us have mortgages that'll come due um, because we either had a smart arm or a temporary rate, and we're going to come to the bank and the bank's going to go, your rates are going up dramatically. And many have already experienced that. Mark, there's just that seems to be one of the loan differences right now between Canada and the United States is we're in some kind of a bizarre housing bubble. Mortgage payments are crushing households, and they're not necessarily in our with our friends in the USA. Yeah, I know. You're, you're right, Greg. And I, I read a report that was saying that in the next two years, up to 60 percent of homeowners are going to have to remortgage. And it is not going to be pretty. But it, it comes from us dropping the ball decades ago on this and the supply demand and what's going on right now. Um, but, you know, when I was campaigning, listening to people and, and hearing their stories and their concerns about what's going on, uh, 2024 is going to be very frightening. People mm-hmm. are, you know, for the first time, really not sure uh, what their future is going to look like. And we're in a very sad state. We had, you know, Steph, it just feels like the middle class is getting hollowed out. And I'd watch people say, ah, it's, you know, the middle class is fading. But the concept is work hard, do your best, get a good job, get a home. You will you might have to help your kids along the way. Your kids are older than mine. There's got to be a bit of a, a, a helping hand to get the kids established and, and running in with their own two feet. But this just feels like such an uphill battle for so many families right now in all our neighborhoods. Right. And it, it, for kids, I mean, it's just, oh, my God, the, almost a surrender there, you know, no matter what. With uh, I've got four that, um, you know, we're concerned about deeply moving forward. Right. And how lucky mm-hmm. were some of us to be able to, 
you know, take advantage of good times and be able to have a home. But, you know, moving forward, as Mark was saying, 2024 is going to be, you know, frightening. There's the prospect of a recession. Even if there isn't one, there's talk of it, which makes people act like there might be one, right? It's that vicious circle. So, you know, what is the solution? Who knows? I mean, that, that the big question mark, the big unknown, I know there's the whole push to get out of the GTA, right? To have mm-hmm. um, live in different areas uh, to try to accommodate that. But, you know, it's, it's, there's so much unknown right now that, uh, and the impact on this country is going to be, I think, vastly different than the U.S., right? Just critical mass issues and housing issues overall make us different and concerning. Yeah. And one more financial issue. We're going to get to Rob Ford Stadium and the potential for that in a little bit. I know all three of us are eager to talk about that. But the good news in the United States, maybe it'll trickle up to where we are, is they released inflation numbers yesterday, Steph. Inflation for grocery for food is down to 1.7 percent. We're at 5.4 percent in October. So I mentioned these New Year's Eve parties and dinners and whatnot. And we're not we're not coming back to the restaurant industry the same way. The data tells us that every month. It's a very frustrating thing, and and as uh, as you mentioned, uh, lots of mouths to feed, and you're probably you're probably happy they're not all 13, 14, 15, 16 anymore because teenagers eat a lot. Steph, nobody told me Who, yeah. I didn't sign up for all this. Wow, poor you! What a rude awake thing. Huh? <laughs> Microwaves um, are going off at eleven forty five p.m. at night with with giant <laughs> sandwiches and meatball subs and whatnot. Nobody warned me. Oh, I'm fully aware of what you're talking about. Um, you know what? I, Canada's different, again, when it comes to groceries, right? Like farther to ship gear, you know, all that stuff makes it more expensive. But sort of, I don't know if you heard, but uh, the industry minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, is in talks with grocery executives right now around the world, hoping to, you know, attract another competitor to expand into Canada and challenge, like, uh, you know, the five chains that dominate the market here. So, He's hoping to bring in like a, a new international grocery chain that mm. will somehow, you know, bring hopefully prices down because he's got that consolidation with, you know, Loblaw, Empire Metro, Walmart, Costco, right? They've run about 80% of sales here. So Champagne, it seems to think that he can have an impact on those. He did it with Volkswagen, right? And the Stellantis stuff. So maybe there's some hope here with, uh, with groceries. Mark, I got some suggestions. Kroger, uh, Publix. You ever been to a Publix in the States? They got tons of great options. Yeah. Up and down those, they got breakfast cereals that we haven't even thought of yet in Canada. Um, but then again, I, Mark, I was the biggest Target fan on the planet. Target came to Canada and I told all my friends, I'm like, it's going to be amazing. You're going to go there. All, and then it was gone within a year. So what do I know about retail success? Yeah, we just don't have the same density when it comes <laughs> to population and all of those things. Greg. But I, I'll tell you, when we talk about the price of groceries, we talk about numbers and single digits. I feel like I'm the only Canadian that, that uh, is buying stuff way more expensive. You know, I, I, I look at the, the receipts right now, and I just can't believe what I'm not getting for what I'm paying for. And, and I'm sure that's affecting every Canadian right now on top of all of the other issues, making it really complex and, and nerve-wracking. This Christmas is going to be so different for so many of us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you those numbers again. A listener is just coming in on our conversation uh, via text. Uh, grocery inflation in the U.S. is down to 1.7% in November. We haven't seen our November numbers yet. We were at 5.4% uh, in October. That's the latest numbers we have. All right, I want to move to this. Rob Ford Stadium. It's in uh, the papers this morning. City Council is going to talk about it. And they voted it down 26 to 11 back in 2017 when this was proposed. But we dug out an old audio clip of Doug Ford 
Ford. I want you both to hear this and our listeners to hear this as well. This is Doug Ford being asked about the potential for this very same stadium to be named after Rob six years ago. Here's what Doug Ford said. So we'd like uh, Centennial Park, uh, not the park itself, but there's a stadium that's unnamed uh, sitting there that Rob played uh, his high school career in and he coached there many a times. So we'd, we'd really appreciate if the, the stadium could be named uh, the Rob Ford uh, Stadium. Okay, so in the Toronto Star this morning, Mark, uh, it's documented there's some city councillors that, that are going to support this that didn't in 2017. Olivia Chow is going to support it. And, I, I mean, I, you have to read the tea leaves here, right? It's, uh, Olivia Chow agreed to this um, when Doug Ford asked, and it may not be part of the new city-provincial deal, but no question it must have been brought up. Let's start with number one of, of a two-part question. Are we okay with the name thing happening, Mark? Uh, sounds like I'm being cross-examined again. <laughs> <laughs> You're back to last May, exactly. <laughs> again, I, I can tell you when, when I campaigned, especially out in the West End, um, you know, the Ford brand, Ford Nation, alive and well, very strong. And the, the overall and all-encompassing point that kept coming back was how he made you feel. He, he, very, he personalized a lot of his interactions with people, answered everyone back, uh, did small things, you know, that window was broken and he'd show up personally or you do amazing things like that. So um, is it going to happen? Yeah, I, I think that it will happen. And, and you're right that the bigger question is going to be, why not just say that, yes, we all agreed to make this happen. So, um, yeah, I do think mm-hmm. it, it is going to happen. And and, uh, and he he was mayor. Steph, what's your thought on, uh, on the idea of it, first of all? Well, you know... I- uh, it's so funny. I think back to what 2005 on this very radio station, Rob Ford was a guest every, every week talking about the gravy train. Okay. And that was um, his passion was, you know, talking to the everyday person to, to Mark's point, he was very much involved and very much wanted to be that mayor at that time. And uh, he was a counselor back then, but eventually mayor. And uh, I remember talking to him many times, really interested in my kids who were in football then. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just loved football. And he had such an impact, you know, coaching all the time as well. So he, he, he backed it up. He did the work. He loved it so much. I understand the sentimental value to the Fords of renaming that stadium. And, you know, it's up to council to vote. Um, for, I have a soft spot for Rob Ford, even though I covered him when he was at City Hall and it, it turned into a bit of a situation. But, um, you know, I understand if that's the way they want to go and, you know, with that vote and renaming the stadium. So that's how I feel about it. Um, in terms of you know, how this vote yeah. is coming about, that's really fun and interesting. And uh, you had David Ryder on talking about it. This is why I love journalism. And this Toronto Star does such a great job, mm. um, you know, looking into the paralleled conversations about this and how it all came about. And, you know, the quid pro quo, which I know you want to get into here. Well, yeah, like, Steph, let's stay with you and then I'll, I'll get to Mark. I, I'm fine if Olivia Chow steps in front of a microphone and says, listen, th- this was talked about six, seven years ago in talking to Doug. I remembered that this meant just say, hey, just tra- a light bulb went off. I This meant something to him when and it's noted when Jack Layton passed away, Rob Ford told city staff, Honor him, recognize him. Doesn't matter what our disagreements were. Honor this great man and what he wanted to give to the city, mm-hmm. and that that makes more sense than this. Uh, Paul Angley just kind of wandered up to this person, and then Shelly Carroll was involved. You got to believe about seven things in a row, Steph, to believe that it's some random coincidence. Given Doug and Olivia have been talking so much, just say that you want to do it. 
Right. Well, why not? I I, I understand. There's political. Is there political fallout? I don't know, but uh, it, it to me it's better just to own it. If that's how it yes. works out, to your point, just own it and let Josh Matlow pitch and twirl and get all exercised and upset about it and and over and out. <laughs> Mark, it, this is why I'm going to tell you, this is why I think people want to buy into politicians. They want to believe what they're saying, because if you're going to tell me, a, 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 you send me on a bit of a wild goose chase to figure out how all this happened instead of you just saying, hey, I thought it was the right time. We're going to question you the next time when you when you try and spin another yarn about something that might be more significant, like tax dollars. Well, Greg, I, I will quote one of the most famous songwriters in history. It wasn't me. Uh, yeah, really something. All right. I want to, I want to spend a couple minutes on this. Um, there's a story in the Toronto sun. Michelle Mandel wrote it about a Toronto police officer who committed intimate partner violence and ends up keeping his job. Um, there's a lot of times, as you know, Mark, people will come to you and they'll say, what do you think about this police issue? What do you think about that? Um, I don't know if if a police force is a workplace more or less likely to discourage consensual relationships. Um, this is only one. Maybe it can go really well the other nine times out of ten. But there's obviously rules and codes of conduct that look like they were violated here. What's your observation of the story? And are there rules within a police force about any sort of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge in terms of consensual relationships? Do people have to declare that they're in one in a police force? Um, you know what? I, you do. And, and, and it's it's very simple because, for example, if you have a supervisory position and that's your partner, and let's say there's a dangerous setting, uh, you're not going to pick your partner to go. So once it's reported, you try to make sure that they're not working within the same uh, sphere of influence. And so it's okay to have the relationship as long as it doesn't affect the sphere of influence. But the intimate partner violence thing is, is, is something that I, I find very bothersome. And that Police Services Act makes it really complex. It really wow. erodes on public trust whenever uh, you hear these outcomes with these types of cases. It should be noted, the Toronto Police Service said, fire him. And the disciplinary hearing officer, who was an OPP superintendent, decided not to. He demoted him, uh, just for clarity, for to third-class constable. So, Mark, I don't think we can accuse Myron Demke or the TPS as protecting their own here they said we think he should be fired but this creates all mark this creates all kinds of conflict right now because it's he's coming back to toronto police service and they didn't want to keep him so it's tough to that, that's almost a, a break of, like that's a tough to repair relationship is what i'm saying yeah and I, I think i mentioned a couple of weeks ago there were many times when as chief we sat with chiefs and spoke about this it is tough there are some times where you just do not want people wearing that badge and and under the police service act it is a tough thing to do to get rid of them. And, and I, I do think that uh, as, as more time passes, I, I think there'll be a, a meeting point where, where the real outcomes uh, satisfy the, the needs of the organization and the public. And Steph, I think this drives people a little bit crazy. This, this also, this officer has been suspended with pay since January 2019, which raises the issue. You can't. It's been 48 months. You can't make a decision. And and I, and even for him, for her, for everybody associated, for the families associated, give them clarity. Let them know how to move on with their life. The fact that this has been sitting out there for 47 months, we can't move faster on a case like this. Yeah, I find all this really chilling. And, you know, to Michelle Mandel's point, who wrote about it in The Sun, you know, tell us again how we treat domestic violence seriously, right? Mm -hmm. This 
cop is accused of harassing the ex-girlfriend, using his position to gain entry to an apartment, leave her rear door unlocked, gets to keep his job, um, you know, after being found committed, like, serious, serious misconduct, right, through this intimate partner violence. When is anybody going to learn, right, that what this is just wrong and there's got to be serious consequences or nothing's going to stop it, right? And that means losing a job, losing pay, whatever. I don't understand what any loophole is here, you know, take care of it. And it doesn't matter how the relation started or, or you know, whatever, whether they're subordinates or mm-hmm. their coworkers, I don't care. But intimate partner violence is something of such huge concern and it happens in all kinds of ways, you know, right under our noses every single day. And this is just another signal that it's not being taken seriously.